McFarland Energy, thank you so, so much for sponsoring the Bradfoe Show. And there's nobody, there's nobody on this planet right now that I'd rather be talking with more than the guy that you hear in the broadcast booth uh, for at least 15 games during spring training with Joe Castiglione and myself and Will Fleming. That is uh, is Director of Pro Scouting. Is, I should have looked this up, Cass. I'm sorry. Is that is that your title? You've actually whiffed on this title for 13 of the 15 games we've covered. <laughs> so, no, that is not the correct title. What is it? I am uh, the VP of Scouting Development and Integration. See, you had to, as you said that, I could see your face. You had to re- actually remember that. <laughs> like, correct. It, was weird that, it was weird that you looked at your business card as you were reading it. So <laughs> I don't, I actually don't have a business card and I could use those in Japan. That's a big part of uh, the customs out there. Oh, really? And I need to work on that. That's a separate conversation. But no, Harrison Slutsky is now our director of pro scouting. Okay. Doing a fantastic job for us. All right. Well, then uh, it was nice talking with you because I was planning on having the director of pro scouting on. I got to get in touch with Harrison right now. So here, here, let me let me send you his number. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. I'm sure he wouldn't mind the day of his wedding. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, this is the wedding. That's his wedding today. Harrison Slutsky. Congratulations. There you go. Exciting day for us. All right. Oh, I get. I guess we know where the entire Red Sox front office will be on, or was when people are listening to this. Was on Saturday. All right. This Gus Quattlebaum. That's the person we're talking to, and um, he's a straw that stirs a drink in so many ways. Has been going back years upon years upon years. And like I said, always a good time when you'd stop by the the broadcast booth um, in spring training, if for no other reason, I don't want to hear Joe Castiglione talk about big number 97 coming in for the twins. I'd rather listen to you talking about your players, the players that you signed. And, um, in this case, you know, I think that it's, it's always fascinating to, to talk about players you sign, but especially players that you sign, which all we have is cartoons and YouTube clips to go by. So, so, uh, and I'm of course talking about Matthew Yoshida. The outfielder. I should just call him Masa. So we just call him Masa, right? Correct. 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 Okay. All right. I just want to get that straight. There are there are nicknames that we can talk about, but uh, Masa is what I, as I understand it, that's what he's going to go by. So um, you uh, you as you said, you went to Japan. You witnessed this person play in uh, live and in, in in person. And um, so, first of all, how many times have you been to Japan? I've been on two very long trips. The pandemic has uh, gotten the way of travel for a few years. We weren't able to get out there. Um, so I've actually, since I've managed the department, uh, I've been out there twice for some two really long trips. How an long? Amazing, an amazing experience if you ever get a chance to do it. How long? Um, each trip? Yeah. I know, it's usually a couple weeks. Oh, man. I was yeah. there for, in 2008, I was there on that trip with the Red Sox for a week. I was ready to leave, man. I'm not, I'm not the language well, I, thing I'll, is tough for me. I'll, tell, I'll speak for, and let me clarify, it's not just Gus Quattlebaum who's going out to Japan to see these guys. It's, we, it's a wide uh, group that we have, some talented scouts, um, other colleagues from the front office. And, you know, I, the, the coolest thing about scouting, in my mind, this has been my career is it takes you to all parts of the world. And, and that by far the coolest part of this role is you get to uh, see a lot of different parts of the world. You know, when I first started, I was in Alaska. I've been Ooh. to Hawaii, been to Hawaii, 
uh, get to go to the Dominican Republic, Japan, and you know Japan is a unique experience, as you know. A um, lot of miles, a lot of miles. Okay, do you get that? Do do you get to keep the miles? Yes, I do. That's oh, a huge, who, huge, huge who, perk. Who yeah. said the Red Sox aren't a big market team anymore? <laughs> Come on, I mean, it's a big part. Marriott points and miles, big. Are you paid in Marriott points and miles? Is that is that what you think? Is that I'm not going to get into my compensation, Rob, but okay. it's a big it's a big part of how uh, scouts operate. We care deeply about Marriott points and miles. I'm not going to lie to you; it's a big part of how sports writers uh, are compensated and operate <laughs> as well. I mean, this is yeah, uh, yeah. So um, because I know that this is part of the deal, and rightfully part of the deal, when we talk about player acquisition and scouting and the, and the road to get somebody, there's a lot of people that have a, a hand in it. And um, and I know that you are going to, typically you would sprinkle those people in, but I'm just going to let you just get everybody, everybody out of the way right now. And I'm not saying out of the way in a disrespectful way. I mean, I generally knew, I uh, know that these people have a huge, huge part of it, but in with, in if you miss someone, that's okay. Just text me and I'll like, I'll put it in like the inset and turn them to the team picture. Okay. <laughs> like you get when you used to get in the newspaper. Fair um, enough. So, so give Fair me so give, give me some people who helped out besides yourself. Um, like I said, from scouting to front office colleagues. I mean, the guys who manage it for us out in the Far East. Brett Ward, based out in Australia, has covered the league for years for us. Our scout in Japan, Kento Matsumoto, we're so proud of. He's come along not only as an evaluator, but uh, with how he manages. Uh, the region for us. So those guys were principal players for us from a scouting standpoint. And then, I mean, you know this, we scouting works hand in hand with our analytics department within the front office. So it's a wide group uh, here in Boston. And so we, we owe them a great deal to help us with what can be a somewhat complicated translation from a foreign league uh, to the MLB uh, player pool. And, and we owe them a great deal deal for all the work that they do to help us with that translation. So uh, the guys, Kento, Wardy, um, our analytics staff, uh, headed by Mike Rootman and Dan Meyer, others are heavily involved in that. And then, you know, Marcus Cuellar manages a lot of what we do administratively within the office in Boston. And he, he wears multiple hats within the Red Sox front office, both on the domestic, uh, sorry, the amateur side uh, internationally and then with the pro ranks, but we could go on and on and on naming all the people. And, um, but they know who they are and, and they know how important they were to the process. And, and I'd add, you know, the creative services department with the Red Sox helped us uh, with our presentations for players uh, in the international arena. So they always play a big part in this too. All right. So you can go to your, the wedding right now. And then you can say, I mentioned your name on the podcast. Buy me a beer. Is it open You're, bar, by the way? Is it open bar? I haven't done that scouting yet. Come I'm on, not sure. That's a rookie move. <laughs> um, EBD. Okay. Um, so I was so ruminating on this for a little bit while I ask you this other question. The, the, the question I'm going to get to is when you mention everything that goes into this, and I was reminded of this when we had the presentation of uh, the spread at the press conference, which was the sushi presentation with all the food there and everything else, because uh, Yoshida, they're trying to to make the Japanese media feel at home. That's nice of them. 
But I said to I was telling everybody, I said, you don't know what that like, come on. I mean, go back to when Masazaka was here. Like it was like, forget this is like a small table of sushi. That was and that was basically a yacht of sushi. And this there was nothing like we've seen before. Or really, I don't think we'll see uh, going forward like that. So I do want to ask you about Matsuzaka. But before I do this, you said the uh, the presentation, or I forget the the um, creative services. Uh, there is no more creative services than when, when you guys put Otani on the back of a Bruins and Celtics jersey, ready for that, uh, ready for that potential um, recruitment. Uh when you and you never got correct me if I'm wrong, but you never got a chance to talk to Atani because he just chose a certain amount of teams, right? Uh, I wasn't actually part of that process back then uh, with Otani. It was a different group with Allard Baird and, and Jared Banner. Um, but as I remember it, no, I don't. I don't think we ever actually had a chance to uh, communicate with his party. So is it, as we know that you do, you did have Otani jerseys of all the teams, which you can't help or can't hurt. Um, did you have Yoshida Bruins jersey, Celtics jersey, and Patriots jerseys? We did not. Oh, we come on! Not We're a reflect, not. not a not a reflection of our interest in him as a as a target for us. Um, but no, that wasn't part of our intel. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Would have been, would have been a nice touch, though. It would have been, and it obviously is a different as the Matsuzaka thing was different. But going back to that, and again, you were in a different role. But how do you think it's changed? Since then, I mean, you talked about you listed off uh, a trillion people that had a hand in this, including, by the way, analytics. Like, I don't know when when Daisuke back in when it was being wooed back heading into the 2007 season, if there was a lot of analytics, like how much that played into it. And if there was nearly that many people, everyone knew that he was good, really good. Sure. Uh, How do you think it's changed since then in terms of scouting in Japan? In a, in a variety of ways. I think first and foremost, from a scouting standpoint, the amount of video that we now have at our disposal allows us to supplement our in-person looks and that therefore uh, we gain a bigger sample size to evaluate a player, whether it be a pitcher or a position player. So that's that's one huge change. And then from an analytics standpoint, we just have different tools now today than we did back then uh, with Daisuke. There was no track man um, batted ball data, any of that. Um, so now we can work off of that here uh, through trade. All right. So, um, you know, I remember going back to Otani, I remember Eddie Romero saying that when he first saw Otani, I think it was in high school, he said he, he, he identified him. He said it was the best pitching prospect he had ever seen, ever. Um, so this is, a, this is always a, a fun question in a fun conversation. The first time you see a guy, the first impression. So for you, tell me how that works with Yoshida. Well, in Yoshida's case, because of the pandemic, uh, a lot of it was on video. We weren't able to get out there in person, but he certainly caught our attention based on the reports that our scouts sent in. And then couple that with the video work that we do, um, his approach, the bat-to-ball skills, the power uh, really jumped out. So it was exciting to finally see him in person this September, I guess it was. That was the first time you saw him? In person, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, you hear about all this, but when do you remember the first time hearing about his name? 
for you? I mean, I know that, you know, other people maybe. I would say year, years ago, he was identified by one of our scouts, uh, someone to keep an eye on. And you never know exactly when these guys are going to come out and post and be part of the player pool for us to try to acquire. Um, but he's someone that we identified a long time, time ago as a, as a very intriguing hitter. Okay. And so, so when you go out in September, where do you see him play? Uh, and how is it? And how is the media dining? Uh, no media dining. Um, it's Ooh. a different experience altogether. We, you know, we have our guys, our boots on the ground with Kento and Wardy. They're great. You know, I, I think my friends in the front office might argue I'm one of the more high maintenance, uh, uh, evaluators. So they're great at helping me with the travel experience. I mean, it's a different language that I don't speak. It's hard to get around, but they make it as seamless of a transition as possible. So we're bouncing around the country, uh, going to a variety of games, sometimes in a dome, sometimes in an outdoor stadium. Um, at my height, I would argue it's some of the more uncomfortable seating in the world. And I think other scouts would say that too, um, but no media dining, unfortunately. So, so, uh, so you, how many times do you see him when you saw, we went out there in September? We saw him through a couple of series, uh, bounced around, actually followed the club, uh, to a couple different stadiums. So we saw him indoors at his home park. We saw him on the road, uh, saw him against left-handed pitching, saw him against bigger velo, saw him against more soft toss, uh, pitchers. We sort of saw a wide range and then you, you know, double down with the video and try to just give as your, yourself as big of a sample size as you can to give a recommendation to our front office on what we want to do with the player. Did it line up with when you first saw him and I'll get into sort of like the impressions over that time, but did it line up when you, when you first saw him of what you had heard, what, you know, the, the reports on him or was it different than, you know, seeing him in person? I would say it was a, actually a pleasant surprise to see how he impacted the baseball and the, the raw power that he displayed in batting practice, you know, so much so that another scouting director sat with me and was like, wow, was that, were you expecting to see that? And I played it down. I was like, eh, uh, it's probably the ball. Who's that? Who's that? I don't know who you're talking about. I, I, I will not name names on what team that was, but <laughs> no, no, I'm <laughs> saying that you're saying that I don't, you know, like that, that player, like I, I, I wasn't paying attention. So which, so. which guy, who? which guy? Which, oh, that guy? Oh, no, man. He's, come on. We, we would never even think about him. He's way too short. You know, come on. I down, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I downplayed as like, eh, I, don't, I don't know. It's probably the ballpark. <laughs> but that, uh, that was a pleasant surprise. And you can never get that in video. Um, you can see the swing. You can see how he moves in the box. Um, but that was a pleasant surprise for us um, when we were out there in person watching batting practice and then seeing it translate in the game. Um, that was also uh, encouraging. We had, we had always read about the approach, uh, the way he used the field, um, but to see it in the flesh was exciting, encouraging. What's and then, you know, we, go ahead. When I mean, you couple that with the, the intel that we get on the person and the makeup, um, all that, we, we have a lot of, you know, valuable resources within the organization, you know, you know, that help us get information on guys out there. Did you talk to Adam Jones? We did actually. Oh, we interesting. Did. Yeah. Glowing recommendation, former teammate, uh, friend of uh, Masa's 
Uh, I did not speak to Adam directly, but our scouts did, who had relationships back to when he was an amateur. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's that's the type of stuff that people don't understand because you know we know you have the analytics, you have the in person, but you got to make sure the guy isn't you know isn't isn't a bad fit for a, a a clubhouse or b a market or whatever it is, and and you know. It, it, it can be like the quarterback in the the widely hugely popular movie Draft Day, where he puts on a good face, but everyone you you do a little digging and like oh no, like none of his teammates came to his twenty first birthday party. You know why? <laughs> why? Yeah. Yes, I, I never saw that movie, but yeah, that's the type of we're, we talked to a lot of people over the last few years on that were closer to Massa to get a feel for not only who he was as a player, but also who he is as a person and a lot of glowing, glowing uh, recommendations on the guys that, you know, described by his front office with Oryx as a hitting savant, quiet, um, somewhat of an introvert, but someone who was a student of the game, a big influence on their younger hitters. And, and when you hear someone refer to him as a hitting savant, that, that catches your attention. And it's a different, if it's a different swing, it's not the typical slash and dash approach that we see out in Asia. Um, it was much more, uh, I guess I would describe it, much more of a uh, Western-type swing that we see out here. So do you take, first of all, with Adam Jones, um, that sort of perspective must be pretty impactful because, you know, it's, listen, Adam Jones isn't a scout, but he does know what it's like to play in Major League Baseball on a Major <laughs> League Baseball team. So, Absolutely. you know, I mean, so that must have had a pretty, pretty significant impact, whatever he, I don't know, what, what did he say, number one, and did it have a significant impact? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to get into the details of what Adam shared with us, but Ad, you're right. Adam played at the big leagues, played at a high level, most specifically played in Fenway, played in the AL East. So he understands all the challenges that come with that. And so to hear him um, single this guy out, Massa, as a, a teammate he liked, playing with, respected as a hitter, and said could fit in a variety of ways within our lineup out in the field um, or as a DH, that catches your attention. Was there any any other former um, uh, American professional baseball players who are playing over there, either playing with him or against him that you guys talked to? Yeah, there were. Um, and we also talked to those that uh, – don't necessarily speak English, but played alongside of him or worked with him off the field. We had so many different uh, people chime in with their thoughts. And I mean, we're, we're not necessarily looking for scouting takes. It's, it's more, who is this person? How does he go about his business? Um, how does he handle all the pressures that come with being a celebrity uh, in, in a baseball hungry environment like Japan? I mean, it, I know you've been out there, but it's an amazing experience to watch um, a game in Japan. Really one of the more enjoyable experiences in my career. Oh, yeah. And, and like he so how much of a celebrity was he? Was he like was he the equivalent of when Ian Brown went to the went to Tokyo after writing the Dice book and walked into a bar and he was like, oh, my goodness, Ian, like you've never been more popular in your life. It is crazy, though. It's like. They, they love their they love their baseball. Yeah, it's They're, like it's, it's I so like we had Matt. Uh, you know, I talked to Matt Strom the other day, and you know, it's what, what we have here is well worrying about taking your scooter down Van Ness compared to going to Starbucks at San Diego. 
there it's i would imagine it's like brad pitt celebrity sort of stuff right it's different i mean the guy comes up to the plate and it's his nickname whether he likes it or not that's tbd for us but we're you know he comes up to the plate you guys have seen the hype videos and, and all that but he he comes up to the plate to macho man the entire stadium has inflatable dumbbells pumping iron with these inflatable dumbbells they go crazy when he comes up to the plate so um when we first met him we did have to clarify should we be calling you macho man son or should we be calling you uh Masa Saka-san, or what, what's your preference? He, he he likes Masa. Okay, so we do, we do not know. It seemed like he leaned into the Macho Man thing a little bit. I mean, he did the video the the car- cartoon yeah. thing. Yeah, must must be. And he laughed the fact that we, you know, we knew we liked him, and we knew that there was a chance we'd meet with him. So we we purchased some of those inflatable dumbbells at the team store. And uh, he he found that very amusing, and actually said, "Thank you. I make money off of that." So, oh, really? What a business guy! Fortunately, oh. I don't think that affects the posting fee, so that's good. Holy, but how do you? Now I'm kind of fast. Now I kind of kind of want to do an entire podcast of how you make money because I don't think that you know if uh, I don't think put it put it this way, I don't think Joe Kelly made money off the Joe <laughs> Kelly Fight Club T-shirts, right? Oh, that's a shame. Well, we're working on that. Um, so, so when you buy the dumbbells, what, what do you do? You like, when you walk in the room, do you have like four Red Sox executives? Like, no, we never, as you know, we never got to that. Oh, we never, okay. We, ne- we never got. To oh, this was just in case you had you you were at the ready. Well, I just about. I assume we would have a meeting at some point with the Zoom, and so I thought it'd be a nice. Props are always nice, you know that you're in the entertainment business, right? You need props. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was robbed of you. Scott Boris robbed you of uh, of, of a great moment. That's no, great. Now Scott was great uh, to work with. For I, I didn't have to uh, manage those negotiations. All the credit goes to BOH and I'm on that. But um, yeah, I'm sure if we came to it and we had that Zoom with AC pumping iron with an inflatable dumbbell, I'm sure it would have uh, carried weight, so to speak. Two key questions which you only get here in the Bradfoe show because we're next level. A, how much do the dumbbells cost? And B, could you expense them? Uh, Good question. I didn't buy them. One of my colleagues did. Um, And with the exchange, I'm not smart. I'm not an analytics, Rob, so I could not do that math. Okay. No no idea. Okay. Okay. All right. So when, when that happens, when that whole scene happens, did you know it? Were you like, what, 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 what's, what's, what's happening? What, what, what? There's a lot of activity at Japanese MPB ball games. Uh, it's very exciting. I've taken video there. They just, it's, it's a scene. And so that was not something I was expecting when he came up to the plate, but I'm also, you know, I've seen a no hitter out there. You know that. Yeah. And uh, I was the, the only guy, guy with, a guy that rhymes with Jenga. Yes. Correct. Correct. And I was the only guy standing at the time. So I <laughs> didn't quite catch on to how uh, to behave at an MPB game. Um, so what did uh, you're clearly like excited about this acquisition? And, you know, we we uh, who have not gone through this, we all we have is the short Twitter clips, the YouTube clips, the whatever it is, the press conference, the, you know, your guys talking about them, whatever it is. 
but we're is is um a little bit you were going in blindness until we actually see him play in Fort Myers and then in the real game. Why are you so excited about this guy? Like why when you talk about him and and you know I talked to somebody who had broken down we, we talked about Seiya Suzuki last year and the Red Sox interest and I had talked about with someone the other day about really someone who had broken down really had to analyze both and he said he liked Yoshida better. And not to say Suzuki is a bad player, but he liked Yoshida better. Um, so why does this guy excite you so much about the idea of him playing for the Red Sox? Really, what stood out, like I said earlier in this show, you know, the approach. We, we evaluate hitters in, with three different buckets. The swing take decisions, the contact, and then the quality of the contact. And he checked all those boxes for us. Then you couple it with whatever data we can acquire um, with the track man data that we can get out there in the MPB. And then we uh, do our digging with our scouting. We get their opinions based on video work. We get the opinions of our hitting coaches. It's not just our scouts. Like I said, there's so many people involved with that. But just understanding the quality of contact, the consistency of contact, the approach, um, the way he used the field, we just thought it'd be a really nice addition to our lineup. Um, And you're seeing the game where there's a ton of swing and miss. Um, in the industry now, um, and this just this guy stood out as a different type of approach, one that we could really benefit from in our lineup. And I know Alex uh, would like that in his lineup, regardless of how Alex chooses to build the lineup. You know, it's interesting you say there's a lot there's a lot of swing and miss in the game, and this is being valued of of, and I think it's probably going to be valued more. Go back to the World Series when you look at what the Astros did. Just putting the ball in play. I mean, just putting the ball going, you know, you have some really, really nasty. All I need to do is go to our good friend pitching ninja to see how nasty pitching is. If it's you so put, tough. Right. It's so tough. And and so if you can put the play, especially in, we don't know exactly how this is going to manifest itself with the lack of shifts. Yeah. But, that's a right. I mean, that's point. part of yeah. it, right? Interesting point there. Yeah, that that could certainly factor in. I mean, I, I reflect back to my days with the Yankees in the late 90s, early 2000s. Those lineups would just grind. And I, I know how successful they could be to wear out, um, you know, pitching staff on the other side. Now it's different now with bullpens coming in the fifth, sixth inning with huge stuff. Um, but that Anytime you can grind out at bats, I know that's something that a manager would appreciate. Yeah, when I, the, the days of, I remember that this was the sort of the biggest feather in the red size cap going back. I'm like, oh, look at me. They always at the top when it comes to pitches per plate appearance. You know, I remember when Napoli was signed, that was a big deal, right? This yes. took four and a half pitches per plate appearance. And, um, and you're right, it sort of went away from that. Um, but it is going to be interesting, I, and I'm glad that I made you think. I'm, I'm glad that you're going to be sitting at this wedding and thinking about, hmm, I wonder how more contact will manifest itself uh, with no shifts. Hmm. What do you? I'm not, what, gonna, I'm not going to give you credit for that, Rob. Sorry. Oh, come on. <laughs> By the way, if I, let's just say if I hear other uh, reporters echoing it, I'm going to know that it's a circle of life, all right? Yeah. My take is a circle of life. Well, so when you, look, when you look at your sheet of spray chart, if you did look at his spray chart, how do you think if there were here's here's another good question. If there were shifts, how would he be shifted? Or would he be shifted? Or did he was he shifted? He, he the way he uses the field, I'm sure they would probably 
shift a little bit towards, you know, right field ground balls to, you know, the second base side. Um, but he, he uses the field so well with a very simple swing that, um, I don't know, I, I'm sure each team out in the MPB had a different approach on how they would defend him. Um, but his ability to lift the ball with authority caught our attention specifically to left field. Um, so hopefully that will translate in Fenway. We think he'll be a great Fenway fit. And, and it can be contagious. We've seen it with pass hitters like Schwarber, as an example, when he joined us, that approach seemed to rub off on others within the lineup. So is that something we can measure necessarily? No, um, but it's something that I, I, I don't know. I saw it. So that you think that the power, it sounds like his power can go to all of the fields, but if you had to pick one field that might uh, pay off the most, it's, it's the opposite way. I would say so. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, he moves so well in the box. We've consulted with a number of hitting um, coaches on that, and they really liked how he could lift the ball the other way. And that obviously something catches our attention when we have Fenway Park, uh, the, the short porch for left-handed bats. And we've had left-handed hitters in the past who've had success with that and makes him a better hitter. The, you know, it's, it's interesting because the just uh, as we were taping this uh, the day before Benintendi signs, basically almost the same deal is almost the same age. And, and, and yeah, and I put up a poll. I've said, like, who, who would you rather have, you know, same, almost the same deal, almost the same age. We, and people, the, I think you're going to like this, that about 70% said, we want Yoshida. And I think a big part of that is because people like the idea of what some guy is going to be. Um, you know, and, and Benintendi is a solid player. There's a reason why he got a five-year deal. He's a solid player. So, but if you had to say, okay, you know, this is not to say, don't pick one because it's not fair. It's like that guy is going to be, Yoshida is like this guy. But give me some guys that you say, that's, here are pieces of Yoshida that these these guys have. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I understand where you're going with this. It, it's risky for us to get into the comp business. We, we I guess where comps are useful in scouting is to cross-check ourselves with making sure that we're profiling these players properly. But I will, I, I've learned over the years that dropping comps on players, they're not predictive. Mm. Um, I've learned this from people involved in the horse racing industry. Like it's just comps are useful to cross-check your own opinions. Are your grades lining up when you're profiling a player, but they're not predictive. And so we kind of stay away from that. Um, but he's someone that, you know, you recognize the approach, the high, the, the high walk rates, the ability to handle VLO. And that, that's one thing that stood out. You know, it'd been a few years since I've been removed from in-person looks in MPB. But one thing that stood out to all of us when we went out there was, wow, the VLO is climbing out mm -hmm. here. And so, you know, the drivelines of the world are yielding their influence globally. A lot of these pitchers are um, going to driveline or they're consulting with driveline type uh, companies, facilities, and the VLO is climbing. So we were able to see a guy like Yoshida and other hitters face better VLO than we've seen in the past. So that gives you a little more solace when you're uh, projecting on a player coming over here. What is the what is the different uh, difference in VLO compared to there and here, just in a very, very broad general sense? So in other words, let's say that, um, you know, there's 
X amount of like what percentage of, of guys that can hit a hundred here and what guys can hit a hundred there. So what, what, what is the average? Yeah, I don't, I would argue there's not as much depth in big power arms out in the MPB as you would see here domestically. Um, but there are guys, whether it be out of the pen or some of the better starters in the game out there, they have big velo. Mm-hmm. And so cool. you can get, you can get good, but I don't, I don't have those numbers. And Rob, I'm not in analytics. Well, right? you, listen, I mean, first of all, I'm going to ask you your, your scouting comp yourself because I, I'm not going to. Oh, not going there. <laughs> no, you know, you don't want to like say who you're, who you're, who you pattern yourself after. Come on. No, I hope I'm evolving, you know, on a daily basis. So that's okay. risky. Yeah. But that's, that's the old, uh, I'm trying to think of an old scout that was smoking a cigar, you know, with a hat and like who nailed you basically like that. Oh, I know. Clint Eastwood. There you go. You're- well, his name was Gus in that movie. So that's right. about, I would end the comparison. You don't think that's a good, that you don't think that between that and, um, and the other scout scouting for the Red Sox, you don't think that all of that is tied together? Who, Timberlake? Yeah, Timberlake. That was, I mean, I think. Yeah, Justin Timberlake could play you in the movie. Oof, okay, that <laughs> hurts his stock. So first, so if nothing else, Gus, we have we have managed to say that you're a combination of Clint Eastwood and Justin Timberlake. All right, so there you okay. go. Okay, yeah, you'll take I that. They have they both have way better gates than me. I can barely walk. So no, it's it's listen. It's all about the eyes and the ears. So, so fair enough. I, I know my scouting. Um, so, uh, so, but when you come back to Yoshida, it's it's just it's one of these things where when you when you see him, when we see him in person, um, you know, well, the first thing that struck me when I saw him in person was that you know, obviously his height, but you know, I, I mean, it's true, it's true, he's a small guy. But I think the thing that you guys have going for this, which is anytime anyone says, oh, well, look at how small he is, there's the easy counter to that. It's number 15, right? I mean, it's the easy counter. Like, this is the great thing. Or if you want to go to what, Altuve, but you have Pedroia. And this is a great thing. The beauty of baseball, Gus, is that it doesn't matter how. But it, it didn't make me get into the conversations about Pedroia because how he never got beat on a high fastball. And his hand-eye coordination was so insane. And I got to imagine, you know, that's in, in the compact swing. And I and so that's what sort of, like, reminded me, okay, you know what? I don't care how tall he is. This could still work, and I'm not going to be judgmental about his height. Sure. Um, and what we care more about than height, actually, is durability, physicality, how strong is he? And he's strong, he, right? I mean, yeah, he's strong. Strong guy. I, I think our medical staff was impressed when we got to do the physical finally um, by how strong he is physically. And, you know, oh, I do have our, a bench. I mean, how, what, what's, what's, no, it's not a combine, right? No, you don't say like, here's, here's two twenty five. How many times you can push it up? Exactly. No, we don't, we don't go to those uh, levels, <laughs> but we, you know, we've have a full evaluation once he gets here and that they came away impressed by, uh, where he is with his fitness. I mean, he's macho man, right? So, um, he, does he wear cutoffs? If so, and what I'm asking, I, I haven't, I haven't familiarized myself with his well, wardrobe. When, when I give him the, when I give him a t-shirt, a baseball isn't boring t-shirt. I want to know what, what kind he wants. So Leaveless or not? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And it's so it's yeah. So, but he's 
It is. Is I mean, so many as we're talking. I mean, there's so many boxes to check off that you guys had to. Sure, it, it's it's crazy. It's not like, hey, you know, this guy's really good. Let's offer him a big contract, and we Here's need one. an outfielder. Boom, there it is. Exactly. And I, I think we've set up an environment here with the Red Sox where a guy coming over from the MPB can have success. I mean, he mentioned it mm-hmm. um, during, the pre- during the press conference. We're lucky. We have three full-time um, employees that are from Japan that speak the language. Uh, we have a massage therapist. We have a strength coach. We have a trainer. And they can help uh, maximize this guy's physical potential. Um and, and they can build the relationships, they can build the trust. And I think that's what all our players want is a staff that they can build trust with. And, and we, we are, we're confident we have that. And then you have a manager who is empathetic to anyone coming from a different arena, coming from a foreign country and uh, making that what we know is a difficult transition, not only to the U.S., but to Boston, where there's a high standard. And all the work we did on the makeup of this guy, we're, we're confident that he can handle this transition. I really, I was I really pleased, impressed by how he handled uh, the press conference, which is never easy uh, mm-hmm. with all the attention and to have the guts to go out there and, and try to speak English, which he hasn't even learned yet. That, that showed me something. You mentioned Cora too. I mean, it's, it, maybe this is, it's not a direct line, but, but, you know, we go back to the Daisuke conversation or even like the Okajima conversation. Cora was a main cog in that clubhouse as in, in his role. And I remember that clubhouse because that was the first time that you had to deal with it. And, and like I said, we'll never see anything like that again. We just won't. But I remember that I think they were giving out uh, the Japanese classes to some of the players early in the morning. I think Veritech tried doing it for a while and, but uh, but that's that was a big part of it. I think that Cora on that team probably like went a long way to to try to do everything he could to sort of bridge any gaps there were, right? Absolutely. And Alex can empathize the moment uh, Yoshida gets to Fort Myers. He can understand what it's going to be like, and you know, hopefully, our n- next goal now is to make sure that this transition is as seamless as possible. So whether it be the technology that we have in our hitting cages or, you know, the dimensions of JetBlue Park, um, we and then the staffing that can speak the language, we hope that we can make this transition a smooth one. Well, I look forward to for, for, uh, further analysis on March 10th in the seventh inning against uh, in the game against the Twins. So... <laughs> So I, I you, guess you can send me 500 words on why I should consider that opportunity. <laughs> uh, well, we always appreciate it. We always appreciate it both in, in spring training and, um, and certainly here. I mean, this is, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you enjoyed the forum that is a podcast like this. So I hope you enjoyed it. New, new for me. I did. And, you know, we, we appreciate, you know, in scouting, we listen to you guys all the time when we're traveling and it's a big, big part of keeping us connected to what's happening at Fenway or on the road. So we, we appreciate your guys's work as well. Mm. And why isn't baseball boring? Well, seeing that it's my livelihood, uh, it, it keeps me going every day. I tell you what, here, I'm going to give you your answer. And this is obviously on the other podcast, our sister podcast, the national daily baseballs and boring podcast, but it does, it goes to all lines of conversation. What other job do you have where you would have to go in and buy inflatable dumbbells 
for exactly. recruits. I'm like, I mean, it just doesn't happen. Exactly. And anything that can keep me out of the house away from teenage daughters, I will embrace. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's it in a nutshell. All right, Gus, thank you. Yeah, thank you.